Hello again. Thanks for joining us for number two of the Startup Sales Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Michael Snape. Not only will you hear how he is saving us from all the Nigerian princes, but you're also going to hear how he has set the price for his product for various buyer personas. Also, coming from Israel, you are going to hear about how he has built his sales team overseas in America and how he dealt with the typical problems that come with having such a vast distance between the management team and the sales team itself. So hope that you guys take a lot away from this episode. I, sh- I know I sure did and uh, looking forward to it. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, you know, if you could uh, give us your quick elevator pitch on on both how you came into existence and what it is that you guys do. Great. I think that the two questions are kind of linked. So in terms of an elevator, elevator pitch, we stopped fishing, um, which not a lot of people can claim to do. And it's not just... Um, the Nigerian princes and those kind of scandals and scams, but it's bigger things as well. Depending who you ask, up to 95% of malware, ransomware, all these kind of bad things start with an email phishing attack. So if you can protect yourself from those, you're stopping 95% of your you know, online business problems upstream. So that's what we're looking at. In terms of, of how we started and how we got into this, well, it's a great story. Um, I was working um, in a big uh, fashion retail company. I was CFO there and um, I got an email from my CEO. Now, our CEO was like quite a crazy guy. You know, he was play hard, work hard, just do everything to the max. You know, he was always doing some kind of extreme adventure or crazy thing. So I was used to getting emails at all hours with crazy requests and, you know, things were going great. So I got an email from him to to just pay one of our our new uh, Chinese suppliers that we, we imported some clothing from. So I said, no problem, um, paid the supplier, everything was, was regular. Then I happened to, I don't know why, I happened to ask him about it a couple of days later. And he said to me, what are you talking about? What email? So I said, you know, the email that you sent me the other night. About the, he said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So we got in the investigators, we looked into it. And long story short, someone had obviously just checked up on LinkedIn, the relationship between the two of us, between the CEO and the CFO. And um, just faked an email that looked completely legit, that had come from him to transfer money and not thinking twice, unaware of this whole scourge of phishing, I just carried out his instruction. And it freaked me out because I realized how easy it could happen to other people I care about, people in the world, you know, people just trying to carry on an honest business. They don't need to deal with this kind of um, threat every single time they receive an email. And... I got together with some some guys here in Israel, and we came up with Retruster to stop this from happening. Um, and that's that's kind of how we got started. And with the more we looked into it, the more we looked into how these guys are going about um, with their phishing campaigns, 
um, we basically came up with this solution that we have now, which is a really robust solution that stops all kind of phishing, no matter where it comes from. Interesting. Uh, how big of a threat is this really, though? I've, I've never been fished that I know of. Anyway, I, hope, so. I hope it's that, you know, <laughs> um, it's massive. You know, the FBI say that it's like a $3 billion a year problem. Some people say it's a lot more because businesses are less likely to actually, you know, tell people that they got fished. They, they're most likely to, to keep it under wraps. Um, and it's not only, it's not only a financial problem. Um, firstly, it's, it, it can be a data problem as well. People can take data, which can be even more priceless sometimes than, or, or more expensive than a monetary loss. Um, it can be, you know, people have lost jobs, um, CEOs have been fired. It's a massive corporate risk to companies, not just a, you know, a, a tactical risk day to day. It's a strategic risk to companies. Like we remember what happened with the Sony breach, um, Equifax, all these kind of things. They all started with a phishing email and the ramifications, the repercussions are massive. So it's a huge problem that every company needs to be aware of. And even if it hasn't happened to you yet, it's just a matter of time. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it seems to be more, uh, more set for like medium and large companies, more corporations. I mean, yeah, the, the risk of loss, you know, in terms of scale is much bigger, but it happens to smaller companies as well. It happens to individuals. Um, there was a case recently with um, an Australian that was defrauded of his entire life savings. Um, there was a case in the States, NBC actually reported on it recently as well, where this old couple were buying a house and just before transfer went through, they got an email from their attorneys. Um, this is our account number. Please put the, the money into this account. And that email was fake and they lost their entire life savings. So it affects everyone from, from individuals like you and I to the biggest companies in the world. What's, what stage is your company in? So we've been working on our product for a while now. Um, at the moment, we have... Quite a few companies using us. Um, obviously, we're not nearly where as, as big as we want to be, and we're continually like improving our solution. Um, we've just started um, with like being, you know, um, getting revenues, and from here we want to really press the accelerator. We want to just make sure that the concept works, that people were willing to pay, um, and that it's interesting for people, and they understand the threat and they understand how our solution works. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. Okay, and how are you planning to, to take it to the next level? How are you planning to grow? In terms of growth, um, there are quite a few avenues that we're looking at. Like in the beginning, we were having big discussions whether we wanted to be like looking at enterprises, if it was more like small or, or medium-sized businesses that we we're looking at, or if we wanted to go straight to consumers. And we kind of decided that all three of those are markets that not for us to to you know, sell our solution to those markets. But in order to help all those people, we need to be able to provide those people with a solution. So, you know, in terms of enterprise, obviously it's a, it's a much longer sales cycle. So, you know, we're in discussions with quite a few bigger players um, in that respect with their, you know, their security teams or their IT teams. That's a, a longer, um, as you know, a longer cycle. And, you know, we're in those discussions. And when with medium-sized businesses, we're working on a self-service platform. So we're going to you know, drive users to our website with the, you know, uh, you know, getting guys in at the top of the funnel through content and things like that, and then and then um, pushing hard to to make our sale as as visitors come to our site. So you're doing a lot of uh, content marketing. That's the plan. That's the plan. We in the beginning stages now, but that's where we're primarily going to be based. Um, and then we're doing a lot of guerrilla marketing as well, from a perspective of. You know, using tools like if it's ranking or whatever, or whatever you you know particularly like to use, identifying the right players, and we actually send a we send a phishing email, 
and we've had we've had mixed results. But um, we send a phishing email that looks legit, and then either it has a link on that email to our site, and we explain what we just did, or at the bottom of the email we say, "Did you see how easily this got through, and how easily you could have fallen for this?" And then we bring people into our into our funnel that way. Well, that, but that seems like a lot of work in order to do phishing emails for each individual client. Definitely, um, we can also do it on like a, a mass scale as well, so you can kind of you know generically send it out to our list. Um, but we're very careful at the moment because some people, for some people it works, for some people it doesn't work, it just makes them angry. So we're busy, you know, we're just trying to like segment and, and trying to figure out who it works better for, what types of people it works better for, who it scares away. Um, so that segmentation is also a big part of our strategy going forward. Wow, nice. It's a very unique way to, yeah. to push your product is, is be, the, be the end result of it. Right. Um, all right. Is, is it just you selling right now? Uh, we've got a small team in the in the states um, that they are, you know, um, making the connections and knocking door to door and setting up meetings. And we go across there whenever we can um, to present and things like that. Um, conferences um, and obviously doing whatever we can here from Israel to to try um, you know set up meetings with with the right kind of clients that we want to onboard first. Okay. Yeah. When you first started to begin uh, selling this platform, uh, did you did, were you out there on your own selling it? Um, yeah, uh, myself and my partner, we were selling it together. Um, okay. And how did these pitches go? How did that go? How did that work? Had, for you? Um, had ups and downs. Basically, I think like a key a key um, asset for us, and I think for a lot of businesses out there, which is which is underused in some respect, is is the businesses investors. So we're really lucky to have some great investors on board. And those investors are such amazing leverage um, to take you into introductions and the world of whatever market that you want to be involved in. Like investors are so much more than than just, you know, money or advice even. You know, they a great platform or a great um, jumping off point to meet the right kind of customers. They come, you know, with a lot more experience and they come with a lot more um know-how and great connections. So we that was a really big part of our strategy starting off with. So our investors kind of gave us like, you know, entrees into a whole lot of different customers and a whole lot of different markets. And that's what we would do. We'd set up a whole lot of meetings um, in a particular city or one side of a particular coast and just go from meeting to meeting, boardroom to boardroom and like prove our concept. Um, and yeah, we've had some, some very successful ones and we've had some tough ones as well. Like I remember our first one, um, it was in a, a big law firm on the East Coast. And, you know, you can imagine like everything's mahogany and you sink into your seat and there's like 10 guys around the table, the head of the practice and the head of security and the head of, you know, all these kind of things uh, with a massive, massive screen. And I'm up there presenting and talking about a solution and I can get quite excited and there's good electricity in the room and everyone was excited. And then the head of the law firm said, okay, great. Well, I'm sure you wouldn't mind if we just test the solution. So on the one hand, I was super excited about that. On the other hand, I was a little bit nervous because like all Israeli companies, we, um, you know, we hadn't yet fully uh, bulletproofed our solution by that point. It was really the early days, um, more of a proof of concept yes. than anything else. Um, so I said, yeah, sure. Um, send us an email. So he sent like a really fishy looking email to us. And, um, and everyone's watching this big screen to see what will they say. And uh, obviously, the email, our system said, no, the email is fine. So that was pretty embarrassing. It was a pretty, pretty tough start. 
but um thankfully they were you know that that was quite a while ago and you know since then we've we've been working with that company for quite a while now so things are things are so you you closed them then or did they they tell you to come back after you've uh, developed a little uh, bit yeah i think because they understood like where we were in our stage and, and that they were one of the first customers we were pitching to they were a bit more forgiving so we were really lucky there yeah. um but it also was like a great um you know, it was the start of a great relationship, those kind of things, you know, where they see, you know, where you're coming from and that you're human. And if you, there's two ways you can react. You can like kind of um, leave with your tail between your legs and, and try to never speak to them again. Or you can use that as like a, a rock to build your relationship off. And thank goodness for us, it went that way. So, yeah, we have a great relationship there and it worked out in the end. We've had a number of, you know, we were, we were pitching to a big uh, tech client and um, I was there with our CTO. And again, we had this huge screen and a lot of people in the room and, you know, tech, you always last minute, you know, you're trying to set up your projector and this doesn't connect to your computer and there are all these kind of technical things and we couldn't find our mouse. So there I was next to my CTO who's like in charge of all our technology and we couldn't find our mouse on the screen to try and, you know, pitch our product. <laughs> so yeah, that, uh, those kind of stories happen in the early days and, you know, they're, they're and yes. great for our relationship. But that, that's basically how we started, you know, investors um, connecting us with companies. Um, and then if things go well with that company, they're then likely to connect you to another company or introduce you to someone else. And then just trying to grow the, your network sort of that way um, from the beginning at least. Okay. Do you have a lot of competition in this field? Um, yeah, there's always competition, obviously. It's, as you know, a tough one because, you know, if there, if there is competition, then everyone tells you, how can you get into this market? There's so much competition. And if there's no competition, people will tell you, um, no, but there's no market, obviously. So we are <laughs> blessed with, the, with a lot of competition. Um, but no one is going about it exactly like we're going about it. I think a lot of our competition is coming from very much like a cyber security um, kind of uh, viewpoint. Whereas we coming from a more business viewpoint, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I don't come from like a 8,200 uh, Mossad background. Our CTO does come from more of that background, but we try to keep it more from a, a perspective of, you know, a business, a user, what am I looking for? What's going to help me um, when it comes to like crazy algorithms and things like that? It doesn't speak to me. I don't understand it. You know, I get a bit worried. Keep that away from me. Give me something that I can see how it works. And that's basically been our approach and our philosophy to, to building our product. Um, and I think our main differenti differentiator is that a lot of the solutions out there try to keep stuff away from you. So they will stop emails from getting to you like way up the line. Um, we let the email come to you, um, but we tell you exactly who it's from, where it's from, where the risks are, all these kind of things, and you can make your own decisions. So we sort of augmenting and or supplementing your decision-making process. We don't presume to know what's right for you and what's wrong for you. Um, and then we also don't have any false positives, which are, which is a massive solution, a massive uh, problem in that a lot of these solutions, they stop emails from getting to you that could have been a very important email that might have come from a, you know, a Chinese business partner, but because they think it's suspicious, you know, it just goes either straight to your junk or, or you don't see it. So we're trying to walk that line between um, being usable and being great for business, but at the same time, um, giving you great visibility and make sure that you, you protect it. Um, and then in terms of competition, yeah, it's everyone from the big guys like uh, Checkpoint, Semantic, all those kind of guys to um, the email education guys, um, Wombat and a whole lot of other ones. In Israel, obviously, there's there's a ton of, of companies looking at the fraud via antivirus cybersecurity space and, and worldwide as well. Um, 
But I think a lot of people have been focused on um, on spotting malware and on antivirus and on things like that, and less so on the on the phishing, particularly the phishing aspect. Yeah. And you said that you're taking it uh, more approach to the business side than the security side. So when you're putting together your marketing campaigns, are you are you also focusing more on the business end of the person? The personnel that you're uh, targeting. Yeah, I think I think that's key. Is is focusing on on you know those personas, what their business issues are, how phishing is a threat to them, and it could be very different depending on you know what the the job to be done is. So, you know, if if we're looking at a, a chief information security officer, they want to be they want to be showing their CEO um, how many phishing attacks that they have stopped. Um, whereas if you're speaking to someone who's in marketing, um, they want to make sure that their team isn't losing money or, you know, messing up their budget for the next year or giving away too much, um, uh, classified information or whatever the case is. So I think it is very specific. I think everyone has, you know, has got their own issue, enough of their own issues day to day that they don't need to, um, have phishing as an additional problem. So if we can like identify what those day to day issues are and how phishing, um, you know, comes into that, we can then offer great solutions and something that speaks to to different people depending on what their various role is, what their worries are, and what their strategic goals are, and, and, and help them to to reach those in our own way. How did you come up with the pricing for this? We spoke to a lot of people. Um, I think it was uh, something that really developed over a period of time, meeting with different customers. Um, we noticed, for example, that different industries are willing to pay very different amounts, like accounting firms generally are very, very price sensitive. I think um, just the world of accounting and auditing as it is today, there's a lot of pressure on margins. Um, so, you know, they price is everything. Um, whereas, you know, uh, companies that are more in, um, in tech, in sales and in those kind of things, price is less of an issue. Uh, bigger issues are um, things like, is it going to affect our server speeds? Is it going to affect our the, the rate at which we get our emails? Um, what's the privacy like on, on this kind of solution? So pricing, we started off with um, we, we started off with pricing that was based on blocks, like up to 20 users, up to 200 users, up to 500 users, 500 plus. Um, but we've now moved completely to a, a per seat per month model, which we find is like is fair, it's scalable. Um, and it, it helps us, you know, as you get to, to bigger companies where your support needs get bigger, it helps us from that perspective as well. So, yeah, we feel it's fair. And so far, companies have been pretty happy with that. Yeah. Great. And so you don't have a minimum amount required? No. no. Um, it's, okay. it's, yeah, it's really scalable. And um, from one to 10,000. Um, yeah. All right. You said that you have a, a team in America. Yeah. How, how did you go about choosing your first salesperson? Um, I was very lucky in that that person came to us. Um, we got introduced through our investors and um, over a couple of meetings and um, just talking through the product and, and talking through what they found exciting and um, how they related to this whole world of you know uh, safety and emails and phishing and everything. We kind of really, we really clicked. Um, and then he... You know, once you have that relationship of trust with someone, we trusted him to then bring on our next um, two guys. And so far, it's, it's been working well. I mean, it's tough, you know, being in, in two different geographic locations and time differences. And sometimes you just would love to have like an in-person meeting every single week, but that's not the case. And, and companies a lot bigger than ours, a lot more successful than ours have been running this like um, distributed sort of um, structure for a while now. So 
it's definitely possible. And uh, yeah, it takes some getting used to, but it's going well. Yeah. Great. Wait, were you involved in the hiring process of the, of the other two? Uh, yeah. I mean, we had to, we met and we had to give the final okay. But in terms of like um, bringing them in and the first part of that, um, the first part of that process, uh, we, we kind of let, uh, let a man in, in New York handle that. Okay. Uh, as you were part of the process though, is, is there anything that like stands out as like a big red flag, uh, for you when you're interviewing somebody? I can say things that, um, well, let's start with the opposite. Like things that, that really speak to me, um, are when people are actually excited about the product. So I guess a red flag is someone that actually hasn't checked out the product at all, doesn't understand the market, hasn't even done their basic research. And we have met people like that. So that would be a, a huge red flag. In terms of green flags, people that are um, excited about the product, people that are reliable, um, people that you kind of get on well with when you feel that the chemistry clicks, all those kind of things are great. So I guess the opposite of those would be sort of red flags. Um, for some people, you know, work, having worked with competition is a big red flag. For others, it's a, it's a great asset. So I don't know. I guess it depends on the company. <laughs> okay. Let's jump back a little bit uh, to... The fact that you have your sales team in America, uh, being a small business that you said that it's hard. Uh, I know that there's a lot of companies here that are looking for sales in Israel that are really having a tough time finding talent. Uh, is that why, is that what drove your decision to move your team to America or was it just timing and the person fell in your lap? Uh, that's such, that's such an interesting question. And, you know, I've got such mixed feelings about it because on the one hand for Israeli companies, I find that there is so much talent here. Like you get a lot of people that come to this country from where it's, whether it's from the States or, or, you know, the, wherever it is in the world, you know, people that are idealistic and motivated and great people skills and, you know, have got so much going for them. And I think that there's a lot that still needs to be done when it comes to connecting Israeli companies with, um, with talent that is here in Israel, that just, there's this disconnect, you know, I've met the talent and I've met the companies and, whether it's you and I or someone has to has to come and step in and actually connect these two together because I think there is massive massive potential and I think that in a sense both sides are losing out like um, you know even within the sales um, within the sales realm the sales world you know you look at the bigger companies let's say the Tel Aviv based companies it's, it's the same kind of people that rotate between the top companies you know in sales like everyone sort of knows <laughs> everyone um, but I do think that there is mm -hmm. this kind of undiscovered pool of people. Um, and new people that are arriving all the time that they've got great English, um, they understand the markets um, where they come from. I think for us, um, we identified the US as like a key strategic market, obviously, um, having worked a little bit with sales in Europe. Um, I don't want to, you know, say anything bad about anyone. I'm mean, a huge generalization, but I do feel that um, that people in the US are more likely to to pay for something and try it than people from Europe where they're a little bit, you know, less likely to to put their hands um, in, into their wallet or it's harder to to get to that point. They're like a little bit more skeptical, et cetera. So we felt that we definitely mm -hmm. needed um, boots on the ground in the States to get things going, um, to set up meetings. I feel there's no substitute for like face-to-face um, -face interactions and, you know, obviously long-term when we want to scale, we want to have like a great inbound campaign and, you know, we're going to be um, qualifying leads and and hopefully getting a, a absolutely, you know, self-service platform going where we can take out the human element completely and just 
get signups, you know, left, right, and center. But at this point, while we're building relationships and things like that, I think the I think it's it's critical to have um, someone or a team or a person or, or someone that you can trust um, wherever your your market is located. What are some of the challenges that you challenges that you find having the team in in America? Um, I think that the core challenge is sharing, um, you know, from our side here in Israel, sharing our constantly evolving strategic um, path with the whole team because you can have like very in-depth discussions over here or you meet a new client or you meet a new VC and then suddenly, you know, you have this whole other um, option that becomes available. Um, for example, we we had a, an interesting meeting with a, an AI artificial intelligence company recently and they kind of opened our eyes to a whole lot of various options that were available for the platform that we're running and you know things you know the cutting edge we didn't even know is possible now how do you take that you know two hour long conversation and give it over to um, the sales team in America and get them to really buy into um, this new potential avenue or where you're going or things that have changes or technical challenges that you're having on that side and conversely the same thing um, from the team over there um, you know, they are at the coalface meeting with customers, understanding what those customers, um, you know, where they're a little bit worried, what kind of questions that they're asking, um, all those kind of things. And that needs to feed back into the team over here as well so that we can make sure that we all running at the same goal um, and that there's as little misunderstanding as possible. So I think if I would, you know, package it into one, into one uh, word, it would be just communication, making sure that we're all on the same page. And so how are you addressing that? So I think the key that one of my mentors told me was over-communication. Even if it feels stupid, um, rather over-communicate than under-communicate. And, you know, um, in the past, maybe I have sort of under-communicated. So I'm trying, trying not to make that decision this time by just every day, you know, making sure that you are speaking every day, making sure that you are summarizing the previous week, making sure you are summarizing what we're running at for this week, what we're running at for this month, this year, making sure that everyone is like speaking about what our five-year plan is, what our 10-year plan is, where we want to be, all those kind of things. And then, you know, just checking in all the time, all the time, making sure everyone's all right, getting summaries of what has happened, all that kind of stuff. So just making sure that there's constant communication between all sides. Um, and communication as well, I think, between people that sometimes wouldn't be talking as much. So for example, like um, making sure the tech guys and the sales teams are talking to each other because there's some like great you know, I don't know if you want to call it synergies or whatever, that, that can happen from that conversation. It's really interesting. Your, your approach is to really make sure that it's an open window and everybody knows what the, the long-term plan is and long-term goals are as well. Not just, hey, sales team, get your, get right. your numbers and, and, right. and make it happen. Trying. <laughs> we try. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's important. You know, people, I think, I find in general want to be involved. Right. And want to be part of, of something, not just... Uh, coming in, punching the keyboard and leaving. I think that's so big because I think that money is definitely a motivator. Um, but I think sometimes in sales, money has become the motivator, like inter-team inter competition and money are like the motivators. But I think like, you know, study after study has shown that, you know, money is just one of the kind of 20 top things that, that keep people going. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's going after a goal, feeling part of a team, um, feeling ownership over what you're doing, feeling that you matter, um, understanding, you know, how the company's doing. I believe in that as well. You know, how we do, how we doing in terms of investments, how we're doing in terms of runway, who we're speaking to, 
um, what the sales means for us, all this kind of stuff, you know. So you're not just, like you were saying, not just someone coming in, banging a keyboard, but you're like a really important member of this like elite team. That's kind of what we're trying to grow here. Absolutely. Great. Well, uh, Michael, thank you for joining us today. Uh, if somebody's looking to reach out to you, how, how can they best do that? Uh, they will come to email me, michael at retrusted.com um, or through our website. If you hit the contact page there, I see all those emails. So that'd be awesome. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. To contact Adam about consulting services or speaking engagements, visit startupsalespodcast.com or email startupsalespodcast at gmail.com. Great, Michael. Let's just uh, close up the conversation here with the with five final questions. Uh, what is your favorite sales or leadership book? My favorite leadership book would be the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, as well as Eighty Twenty by Richard Koch. Eighty Twenty by Richard Koch. Okay, I haven't read that one. Uh, do you have someone that you follow or read uh, for sales or leadership ideas? I, you know, I used to listen to the Tim, Tim Ferriss's and the Reed Hoffman's, but at the moment I feel like um, a lot of that's, you know, overdone. So kind of trying to forge my own path. <laughs> Great. Uh, are you available 24 seven or do you, do you put in uh, strict personal time boundaries? I try to make boundaries, but it ends up being 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> okay. And what is your favorite tool that you use for sales? I would say ranking. That's awesome. Ranking. Yeah. Great. And, and lastly, what one piece of advice do you have for all the founders, CEOs, VP sales out there? Um, that's a great question. Um, I would say just constantly um, keep your, your long-term plan um, front of mind, like what's important to you, what's important to your company, where you want to be, and that'll just guide and inform every decision you make. Great. Good, good advice. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for joining us Thank today. You. Learned a lot. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Adam.